You are listening to episode number 74, Don't Try to Figure Out How God Will Do It. My name is Antracia Moorings, and this is Unfolding Words, where I share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Before we get started this week, I want to make an announcement about my new Bible study, Dust and Divinity. It is available on Amazon and will be starting the first Monday in January, walking through the book of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And this is a revamped version of a Bible study I did a few years back. So if you joined me before, please join me again because you will learn something new. This week, I want to talk about a subject that is personal to me because it's something that I'm dealing with now, trying to figure out how God is going to answer a prayer or do something that I've requested him to do. Haven't we all been there? Have you ever faced a predicament and you wondered how God was going to resolve it or even if he's going to resolve it? Like, is it his will to resolve this issue that you're facing? It can be so easy to want to know what God is up to when we can't trace his hand. I'm sure every one of you has faced this predicament before. So the thought that I'm sharing comes out of the book of 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 24 through chapter 7 verse 20. And I'm not going to read all of those verses, but to give you a bit of a summary, The city of Samaria, which is Israel's political capital, is under siege and food and supplies have run so short that the unthinkable is happening. Food is being sold at a premium price and things are so bad that people inside of the city even began to eat their own children. A donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver, which was a lot at that time, just the head alone. This was many more times the amount that the whole donkey would have even been going for before the famine. And in chapter six, two starving women made a pledge of sorts to boil and eat their babies. And after eating one baby, the other mother hid her baby away. So the angry mother who lost her baby went to the king and complained Not about eating the baby, but about how the other woman hid the baby and now they have nothing to eat. These were bad times, horrible times. But God was about to open up the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings on them. And he was going to do it in a very unusual way through some very surprising people. So Elijah had announced that the Lord would deliver them overnight and that by the next day they would find themselves with an abundance of food. This is like a dream come true, right? However, when this good news came, the king's officer doubted that this could even happen. He was a skeptic and a scoffer and could not wrap his mind around the possibility that God was able to do something so big in such a short amount of time. So I'm going to pick the story up in 2 Kings chapter seven, and I'm going to read verses one and two. And it says, but Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So outside the city gates, there were four lepers. They knew they were going to starve if they went into the city because there was nothing to eat there. 
and they were going to starve if they stayed at the gate. So they decided to take their chances with the Syrian camp, the same one that had the city under siege because it was the only place that they had food. So when these four lepers arrived, they found it completely abandoned. The whole army was gone. God had miraculously caused the Syrians to think they were being attacked and they had run and left everything behind the whole camp, fires burning, food, clothing, everything. And the first thing that these four lepers do is gather up all the bounty they could find and start hiding it. They were hoarding the treasures that they found, but there was only so much that they could hide and hoard because there were only four of them. So the four lepers realized that while they were stuffing themselves with food and gathering up all the wealth and bounty that was left behind, the people back in the city of Samaria were on the brink of starvation. So in their minds, it was only right that they return to the city and share the good news that God had provided for his people. So when they returned to the gates of Samaria, they called out the good news to the gatekeepers. So remember, they were lepers, so they couldn't even enter the city. So the gatekeepers passed this report on to the king who had to be awakened from his sleep. And his response should not have surprised us. He thought surely this was a trap. And the Syrians were hiding out nearby, waiting for the people of Samaria to come out to the city where they could capture them in a surprise attack and kill them. So from a military point of view, this would make sense, this kind of attack. These, this city is under siege. They're hungry. So this lure them out to our camp and kill them while they're trying to eat food. But there was something that the king wasn't thinking of. Elijah had prophesied this very thing that the lepers were reporting. Elijah had promised God's provision for some time. We see this in chapter 6, verse 33. But the previous day, Elijah had said that God's overabundance of provision of food would come within 24 hours. But the king didn't make a connection between the promise that Elijah made and what the lepers were telling him. The king was expecting disaster, not deliverance. And even when that deliverance was promised and proclaimed, he still couldn't believe it. So I'm going to pick the story back up in verse number 16 of chapter 7. And it reads, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said, when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a seah of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God. If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. This same man who doubted God was trampled by the people running to what Elijah said would happen. And the way God did it was so simple. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. 
Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Israel was powerless against this besieging army, but God was not powerless. He attacked the Syrian army simply by causing them to hear the noise of an army. Isn't that crazy? So the king's right-hand man was trampled because he couldn't imagine how God could possibly keep such a promise. He was using his finite mind to figure out how God could possibly pull off something so big. This is some good advice for us. We must not doubt God just because we can't see how God might possibly keep his promise. God has ways that we have not even imagined and resources that we know nothing about. So this man's doubt was multi-layered. First, he doubted the power of God. If God willed it, he certainly could make windows in heaven and drop down food from the sky for the hungry. I mean, he did it before. He did it in the book of Genesis with manna. So why couldn't he do it again? Second, he doubted the creativity of God. In the mind of the king's officer, the way food could come to the city was from above because the city was surrounded by this hostile Syrian army. He had no idea that God could bring provision in a completely unexpected way. In the book Searchlights from the Word by G. Campbell Morgan, he writes, How often faith breaks down in this way. It knows that God is and that he can act, but it only sees one way and refuses to believe that such a way will be taken. The supply came without the opening of heaven's windows. And that's the end of his quote. Sometimes God can work in a way, but we are so blinded to the power of God's ways that we don't even think that that one way can work. Isn't that crazy? God created the whole world. Still, we doubt him. Third, this man, the king's officer, doubted God's prophet, the divine mouthpiece of God. He doubted him. So the promise was a hard one to believe because they were so deep in famine, they probably didn't even have the strength to believe anymore. The king's officer could have and should have believed, though, because it came from Elijah. He was a prophet with an established track record of reliability. But unbelief is sinister. It's sneaky because it has so many detrimental effects. Unbelief dares to question the truth of God's promise. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief says this is a new thing, so it can't be true. Unbelief also says there is no way to accomplish this thing because it hasn't been done before like this. Unbelief says there is only one way that God can work, and that's the way that my mind can imagine it. And unbelief says even if God does something, it won't be enough. And it's crazy to hear how unbelief works. But unbelief often exists in our hearts, and it's not until we verbalize this and see it that we see how crazy unbelief is, how walking in unbelief is, how ridiculous it is. And this is often our biggest problem with believing God today, our own intellect, our minds. When we face a difficult situation in our life, our first reaction is usually to limit God's abilities to what our minds tell us he can do or should do to work out the problem. Sometimes we're so arrogant, we even claim that there's no answer or solution. But God had a solution in this book. And I love that the first taste of God's provision came to the four lepers. 
These men were outcasts. They were not even allowed in inside the city of Samaria. And because of their condition, they were most likely beggars. But during famine, there would be nothing for them to even beg for. So their situation was even more destitute than those inside of the city. But God sought for them to be the first ones to discover this miracle. See how God used the outcast and the lowest men on the totem pole to work his miracles through. And one of the most interesting things about this story is that the evidence of the Syrian retreat was seen by everyone. But the explanation for why they ran away is only given to you, the reader. Who would have known that God created the sounds of war? when there was no approaching war, there was no approaching army coming. The reader is told so that he will recognize the hand of God in all of this, bringing about in the most unusual way, the fulfillment of his word. So we know why it happened. The author's giving us a little nod saying, look what God did. I love how God flexes his power here, not in an arrogant way, but in a beautifully creative way. First, God got rid of the Syrian army and of the threat that it posed to Israel's national security. It put an end to the blockade of the city. So they were able to walk out of their city freely just because God sent the sound of an army. And then secondly, it also provided an abundance of food for the people of Samaria. Isn't that just like God? He uses those who had come to destroy Israel, and he caused them to be the means of Israel's deliverance. The one who wanted to destroy turned out to be the one to bring life to Israel. And the method that God used to get rid of the Syrian army did not include confrontation, killing, or warfare. God was so gracious that he spared the Syrians as well as the people of Samaria. So a lot of times when people think of the God of the Old Testament, they think of a wrathful and a vengeful God who immediately kills and cuts off enemies. But the Syrians were simply used as a chastening rod to discipline the people of Israel. God provided salvation for his people, but that did not prevent him from saving the Gentiles as well. We see God's heart here in these verses. So if there's one thing that we learn and walk away with from this account, it's that unbelief, doubt, and trying to figure out how God will do a thing will keep you from enjoying the blessings of God each and every time. Think about when Abraham first told his wife, Sarah, about the prophecy that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. She was shocked, as I'm sure you would have been too, How would it have been possible for there to be future generations if Sarah was unable to conceive? It must have been mind boggling for her. She wanted to believe this incredible promise, but she struggled with it because she knew her circumstances. She knew that she was beyond the age of childbearing. So in her doubt and lack of faith, she came up with a plan that would allow for God's words to come to fruition. She was helping God out. Sarah told Abraham to take her maidservant Hagar, to conceive a child with. Sarah tried to fix an unfixable situation on her own, which she thought was an unfixable situation. But we all know that her plan backfired. A little baby boy is born. His name is Ishmael, but he's not the promised son. And it causes a world of problems for Abraham, Sarah, and for Hagar. The heartache and the turmoil could have been avoided if Sarah would have simply 
believed what God said without trying to figure out how it was going to come about. God's ways are higher than our ways, period. And many of us today are acting just like that king's doubting officer in this book of Second Kings. The situation surrounding us is a mess and things just look hopeless. And when God promises deliverance and salvation, it can be hard to simply believe it and take the promise at face value. And some even go as far as mocking God. And maybe today you feel like you're in a situation that's messed up and not even God can help you. But God's goal for you today is to bring you to a crossroads and help you see that he has a myriad of ways to deliver you. Isaiah 55 and 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And I love what Romans 11 verses 33 and 34 say, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Lord, forgive us for our prideful attitude that tries to tell you how to work in our lives. Help us to step back and allow you to be Lord today in Jesus name. I pray that you were encouraged by this podcast episode today. I know I was. I definitely need to be reminded that God can work in ways that I can't even imagine, but I simply need to trust him and not figure it out. That's it for this episode. Christmas is fast approaching and I am currently serving as a teacher's assistant at a Bible college. And the other week, the instructor left this word of encouragement for the students. She said that at Christmas, God surprised everyone with the birth of Jesus. So this season, ask God to surprise you and wait for the surprise. I loved that. So I'm encouraging you to do the same. Ask God to surprise you this Christmas season. And if you're listening and enjoying, I would love if you would share a screenshot on social media of the podcast. I love to see who's tuning in and listening. You can tag me on Twitter at unfolding underscore words or on Facebook and Instagram at unfolding words. Say hi. Let me know you're listening. That encourages me so much. I'll see you right back here next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.